Galatians, they both start with a G. Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2. We do have a special, okay, give you a moment to find that. Galatians chapter 2, that is not in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, I want to take care of this business here, that way I don't have to do it later. Um, Marcos and Stephanie Lindsay are missionaries of ours that we've supported a good while since they've been on the field. Uh, Both of them grew up in our youth group. So my wife and I watched them grow, surrender to the Lord, and get married and go off to the mission field, and they have served faithfully. Well, if I'd have known about this last week, I'd have brought it up Sunday night. But it doesn't matter. I'm here tonight, and I got the message. So to me, these two are like kids. They're like my kids, even though they've got old kids now. Uh, they, They have four children. One of them is in Bible college here that I know of. There may be two of them in Bible college. Uh... They've lost some uh, support. That just happens as when you have a lot of churches that support you. Inevitably, that can happen. We support them at 200 a month. They, uh, they are in need of, one, some suitcases for traveling back uh, to Peru and some funds to help with expenses on the return trip. I'd like to help them. Uh, as of now, we have 15000 in our mission account. We have paid the bills. So uh, I would like to, I'm just going to throw this out there, I'd like to give them $2,000. That way we don't have to worry about giving them suitcases. <laughs> they can get their own. But uh, does anybody have any questions? Well, that, that's real easy. Uh, got a motion to accept this then. Brother Harold McPeak got a second. Brother Mickey Bragg. And then, oh, you could have been the second lady. I missed you. All right. Pandora set the precedent. We're, all right. Well, let's do this. Since there were no questions, all in favor of us uh, giving Marcos and Stephanie Lindsay 2000 for their trip back to Peru, helping them. Can I hear a hearty amen? amen. All opposed, same sign. All right, it was in the account. The Lord has given us the money to be able to give to them. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're willing to do that. When we know people personally like that, we want to help them. So, all right, if you are able to stand, Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2. Dear wife, if you missed it, we're going to give the Lindsay's $2,000. So, yep. All right, Galatians chapter 2. And let's just, uh, let's begin at verse 1 here. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. I'm going to pause there because I really want to cover all the way to verse 14. So let's pray here. Lord, we pray that you bless 
the message this evening, minister to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege you've given us to be able to help our missionaries and to show your love to them. I pray, Lord, now would you bless our special music and prepare our hearts for the message. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians. All right. So uh, just a review as we continue on here in Galatians. This, it'll be a month, so I know that when I come back, I'll be doing a lot of reviewing. Matter of fact, I might just preach the first two or three sermons out of Galatians over again, get us back on the same page. Um, the first two chapters, or at least the first chapter and a half, the Apostle Paul is very personal with the churches of Galatia. He's very personal with them because... Uh, a seed of doubt has been planted in those churches concerning his character, concerning his message. And obviously, if you can uh, slander a guy's character, you're going to hinder his message. They couldn't stop the gospel, but they thought if we can uh, slander the Apostle Paul's character... He wasn't an original apostle. Well, the Galatians will believe us. The people that have done this, and you'll read about them more in in, uh, the book of Philippians or the letter of Philippians, they're called Judaizers. They are Jewish in some cases. I'll call them Christians. But they have uh, incorporated Jewish rituals to the faith. They have emphasized the Mosaic Mosaic. Was that the right word? The, the, the laws of Moses, not in the sense of the Ten Commandments, but many of the uh, cultural laws of Moses to the Galatians. And the Galatian churches were made up of Gentiles. They were not primarily Jewish people. And so they were telling these people, you know, you've got to be circumcised, and you've got you to follow this particular ritual, and this, and you can't eat pork, and, and all of that. Well, uh, that stuff was put away on the cross. Now, um, but they're emphasizing this, and inevitably what they did was they added works to salvation. There's the no-no right there. When you add works to salvation, well, number one, you're making light of the blood of Jesus Christ when you do that. You're saying the blood is not enough. That's, that's heresy. That's why Paul starts off the letter by saying, let them be counted anathema. If anybody preaches another gospel, that's serious. And you know, people can do that inadvertently. They get wrapped up in the works, and all of a sudden they think, well, yep, I'm saved, or you're saved because you're doing this and this and this. And the reality is, our works do not save us, and we can say that a thousand times, but our human nature tends to fall back on our works because we're naturally. Uh, selfish and dependent. We've been taught to depend upon ourselves, to be independent, and to a degree that's wonderful, but when it comes to salvation, that's horrible. Okay? So, in chapter 1, as we concluded chapter 1, Paul was trying to protect his influence, and I mentioned last week that one of the lessons we would learn through this is how to develop and maintain trust 
Because inevitably, the most important thing you can have and I can have as a Christian is trust or to be counted trustworthy. You see, even unsafe people want trustworthy people to work for them. Are you with me? And they may not believe our message, but they cannot deny our manners, our behavior. And Paul, the end of chapter 1, he talks, he writes about how he had met uh, Peter, James, and John. Uh, he and Barnabas, Barnabas took him up to Jerusalem, and those guys accepted him. And then he disappeared. And he was gone for 14 years. And three of those years he spent in Arabia learning from none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a result, through that meeting, we under, he understood the great uh, doctrine of grace. Of grace. And he unfolds it here in the book of uh, the letter of Galatians. And really, he unfolds it, the doctrine of justification by faith in the book of Romans. Those two, if you struggle with your salvation, if you struggle with doubting, you get familiar with those two books. And then I'd say the third book, 1 John. Those three books will nail down yourself. They'll encourage you, okay? Because people doubt their salvation because they evaluate their own lives, and they, often they say, well, I'm not living a good enough life. And we are supposed to examine ourselves. We are. But not for the purpose whether I'm saved in the sense I, we're supposed to examine ourselves from am I in fellowship with Christ? But what happens, people examine themselves and they say, well, I must not be saved. I'm, I'm doubting, I'm doubting. And God doesn't want us to doubt. He want, as a matter of fact, He wouldn't have said, these things have I written to them that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. I mentioned that Sunday morning. So here we go. Let's jump into this. Verse 1, let me start over here. So Paul, as he continues writing, then 14 years, there wasn't a chapter break when they read this. He talks about his first meeting at Jerusalem on verse 18 of chapter 1, and then we come to chapter 2, verse 1. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem and Barnabas, uh, with Barnabas and took Titus with me. You're always going to win people if you bring Titus with you. So he took Titus... <laughs> He took Titus with him. Titus was a Gentile. He was a Greek. Okay? Titus was not Jewish. And so we read on here. Verse 2. And I went up by revelation. That means the Lord Jesus told him, you need to go back up there. He received this from God, not man. That he was supposed to go back up and meet Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles. Okay? But this time, the difference is, he's not just going with Barnabas, who's a fellow Jew. He's bringing a Gentile convert. And J. Vernon McGee said, he's bringing a showpiece of what the gospel could do in Gentiles. Titus was a man of God. And we've got a whole book written after Titus. And so we read on here, verse 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Now this... Needs some splaining, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Pause. Privately to them which were of reputation. What he said there, he brought Titus with him, Barnabas was with him, and he shared with not all the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, 
but that's just those who were in leadership position and explained to him the grace of God that he'd preached. He didn't give that information to everybody for this reason because they were Judaizers in Jerusalem attending the, the church with Peter, James, and John. As Jews, it was nothing. For, they were already circumcised. They already had a dietary law they followed even though they got saved. Even though Jesus told um, uh, Peter in a dream in Acts chapter 10, anything I've made clean, call, don't call common anything I've made clean. You can go and eat. Rise up and eat. He gets that strange dream. But as of now, he hadn't done that. He hadn't tried pork chops. He hadn't tried ham. He hadn't tried uh, barbecue, ribs, that sort of thing, as far as we know. So Paul tells these men in reputation in private, but not the other people because he knows what will happen. They'll take off and they'll go infect the churches of Galatia, which they did anyways. But he didn't, he didn't want that to happen. He was being cautious. He was not, it wasn't as though he was ashamed of the gospel, but he wanted to find out where they stood in the area of grace. Because uh, when he first met them, he knew where they stood. Verse uh, 3, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be what? So here he is, he's right in Jerusalem, I mean the hub of Jewish culture. There he is, and if there are Judaizers around, uh, they are there, even though they may say, I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. They'd say that, but these are, there are people there that believed, yeah, but you've got to be circumcised too. And you've got to follow these dietary laws too. And so even the, they were there, and so Paul's wondering, is Peter, James, and John going to compel Titus? And he's writing this to the Galatians to let the Galatians know that the doctrine he preached, these guys agreed with. Are you with me? Okay. All right. We're learning the Bible here. All right. So, verse 4. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection? No, not for an hour. Now, when you read that with your English mind, it's like, what? Oh, okay. What he's saying there is, we, we didn't submit to them at all. We didn't submit to their rituals, their laws, their Jewish customs at all. I move on. Where did I leave off there? Anybody paying attention? Verse 5, okay. All right. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these, who seem, because he didn't want the Galatians to think, hey, listen, we've compromised with these Judaizers, so I guess you're going to have to do this as well. But of these who seem to be somewhat, I love this, this reads interesting. Whosoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepted no man's person, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Pause. I know that sounds kind of harsh and almost sarcastic. I don't, I'm, I'm going to give the Apostle Paul the benefit of the doubt and believe he wasn't trying to stir things up. But what he is just flat out telling the Galatians is, everything that James, John, Andrew, Peter received from Christ, I received it too. 
There was nothing new that they could teach me that I hadn't received from Christ. He's speaking to the Galatians. That's important for you to understand. All right. Verse 7, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, pause. It's not two different gospels, it was two different people. That's what that's talking about. Don't be confused there. Oh, you mean there's a gospel for the Gentiles and then one for the Jews? No, 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 no. It was just Peter, God had ordained Peter with this power this supernatural power, these spiritual gifts, to be able to reach the Jews. And God ordained Paul with the same power, this supernatural power, to be able to reach the Gentiles. I mean, these guys were doing miracles, but the miracles were nothing more than a a platform for the message. You don't make more of the miracle than the message. The message is the miracle. You must be born again. A man can have all kinds of miracles, all kinds of healing, and if he dies and goes to hell, what good is it? Because we're all going to die one day. The most important thing is, do you got your ticket into heaven? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the crucified one? And so that was the message he's emphasizing here. The gospel. And it's interesting. I've always found this funny too. Here, okay, when we think of Peter and Paul. I mean, I love them both, both characters. I personally can relate to Peter more than I can Paul. Paul's just like this educated man way up here. And the reality is this. I think you would uh, grasp which one of these two guys has a higher education? Paul or Peter? Bah. Which one of these guys would know more about Jewish culture, Jewish religion, Phariseeism, Peter or Paul? Now, if you and I as a human decided which one we wanted to minister to who, I think we would have chose Paul to reach the Jews, and we would have chose Peter to reach the Gentiles. But God had chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And he took old Peter, the fisherman, and says, I'm going to have you shake Jerusalem. And Paul, you're going you're to leave Jerusalem, and you're going to reach these Gentiles that you'd struggle with for a long time. You can't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. That's why he told Abraham to name his son Isaac. Laughter. All right, we're going to move on here. I believe heaven, there's going to be a lot of laughing in heaven. I really believe it. I, I, believe, I believe Peter, James, I'm, no, this is, I'm getting off a little bit here. But I, I, believe, I believe Peter, James, John, and the, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and the rest of them fellas, uh, and even Judas. I believe when they got around the campfire with Jesus, I bet they laughed. I bet they had a good time together. Come on now. They, the Lord... If anybody knew how to make people feel welcome, the Lord Jesus did. And you understand, he had to condescend to do it. But I'm so glad he did. Okay, I've got to move on here. That was just free for attending tonight's service. All right. Well, here we are at verse 8. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, if you read Acts chapter 5, you're going to find that people would walk in Peter's shadow and they would get healed. That's power. They were walking in his shadow and they'd get healed. All right, and he, Paul says, yeah, that the, he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Verse 9, and when James, Cephas, by the way, Cephas, that's Peter. Now, why he used that term, I did not have time. Had a little distraction here the past day and a half, but uh, didn't have time to research that. And John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. There it is. They didn't greet each other with a holy kiss. They gave them the right hand of fellowship. 
the right hand of, and basically what that means, they held them up in high repute. They, they showed them respect. Big respect. All right. Um, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So they seem pretty content with that. Verse 10. Only they would that we should remember the poor. And I, Paul had to throw this in there. Uh, the same which I also was forward to do. It's like, Paul was telling the Galatians, yeah, they give me this advice, and I'd already planned on doing that, but I want you to know that. That's why he said they didn't add anything to me. And I know he's not making light of them, but he's got to deal with the situation. He's going to clarify. And this is just, this is one of those stories that we've got to read it. So Paul, he's reminding the Galatians, these guys that you hold up here, and these guys that the Judaizers that came into the churches, that they hold them up here, I want you to know they believe in the same gospel of grace that I've been preaching to you. I've been to them twice, and they gave me the right hand of fellowship. I want you to know that, and I want you to know something else. Verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, Antioch was more of a Gentile church. It wasn't all Jewish. I withstood him to the face. Well, that seems harsh. Because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. He did eat with the Gentiles. Do you think he ate strictly kosher food when he ate with the Gentiles? I think he stepped out of the box. I... I think he joined the pitch in and said, that's the best brisket I've ever had. And I like these things called ribs. And This is pulled what? Pork? Don't tell. I can see him filling his face. Peter's a big fella. I imagine he had a good appetite. Now watch this. For before that certain came from James... James is in Jerusalem, so that means these are Jewish men. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. You've got to visualize this. I'll get back to where I'm at. You've got to visualize. Is this on? Okay. So we'll call this the kosher table. The kosher table. And since... It's, they're definitely going to be the minority. We're going to call this the Gentile pitch-in table. And so, actually, we'll call this the buffet. Right here's food. One side's kosher. One side's whatever you want. And the Gentiles are over here. Now, apparently, in this little dining room setting, uh, some of the Jewish believers that struggled with the other meats they would pick out that which is kosher, and they'd sit over here. And maybe they still attended the same services. Apparently they did, but they kind of separated themselves. But it, it was one thing if it, it, that it, if it was a lay person doing it. It was a, n- a different thing if it was a leader. And so the Gentile believers, they, they picked from theirs, and they all sat over here. Well, Peter shows up, and Apparently Paul witnessed this because Paul was over here. These are his converts. Some of these are his converts. He's going to eat with them. Peter shows up. Paul says, come on over. Well, he gave it a shot and he liked it. 
He ate with them. That's what it says. And they're having a good old time together. But then somebody came late to the dinner party. There were some uh, men from Jerusalem that showed up. And when they opened the door, I can just see old Peter. He's sitting there talking to a fellow Gentile. and These things are awesome. Hey, who's that that just opened the door? I'm glad you all got saved. That's good. Stay in the Word. And he goes over here. And he sits down. And the Apostle Paul sees this. And the hypocrisy is permeating the room. And notice what Paul says. This is, the reading is just amazing. It says a lot about Paul's conviction, too. So, um, let me begin again, verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain brethren from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, <coughs> come he withdrew him drew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Even Barnabas was carried away with their dissimulation. That's hypocrisy. And when I saw that they walked not, what? According to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, and this is huge, before them all. That's huge. So Peter got up in the middle of that pitch-in and said, or Paul got up in the middle of that pitch-in and told Peter, what you just did is not right. Are you seeing this? Are you, I mean, I'm talking about Peter, the man of God that preached, God used to preach Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved, baptized, one service. I mean, he was the head honcho, he was the leader, he was the man that uh, the, the disciples were looking to. He just, uh, just, overemphasized the attitude of hypocrisy in his behavior, inconsistency, and he's leaving the Gentile believers high and dry. He's showing a prejudice or favoritism, but he's really, it's really, he's trying to please this crowd. He feared them, is what the Bible said. And Paul says before everybody, that's not upright. What I've always wondered about is, I wish we would have got the rest of the story. I wonder what, how Peter responded, but I know how Peter responded. I know how, how he responded. You know how I know? Because if you read 2 Peter, the end of chapter 3, the very end of the letter, Peter talks about his beloved brother Paul and the scriptures that he had penned and the significance of those scriptures even though some of them can be difficult to understand. That's what he said. His beloved brother Paul. There's a, hey, I don't know how he handled it immediately, but I know how, what the end result was. He had no bitterness, no hard feelings. He knew Paul was right. He knew Paul was right. And by the way, Paul didn't do that. He didn't do that to stir things up. He did that to protect the grace of the gospel of grace, and to protect the Gentile believers so that they wouldn't go into their, uh, they, they wouldn't have this mindset that you've got to do, do, do to be saved, saved, saved. 
They didn't need that. They needed to understand that grace, you change through grace. You don't uh, change to get grace. The love of God working in your heart changes you. Jesus said, if you love me, what did he say? You know how to finish it? Keep my commandments. That's what he said. If you love me, the greatest motive. See, I know the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning, but it's not the end. See, I got saved because I feared God. But I'm telling you, and and by the way, I surrendered my life because I feared God. I thought God was going to take me home. But my spiritual growth has been a result of my love for the Lord, not fear. And by the way, in your own personal relationships, you know, your children at sometimes obey you, and the only reason they obey you because of fear, and that's all right. They need to be taught that. But the objective is to teach them to love, to help them see love. And your hopes are the day can come when they're not just my kids, they're my friends. Are you with me? All right. So we're back here. This is all introduction. The message is two minutes. So verse 14, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? They all knew Peter was a leader. And when they saw him step over there, what do you think they're thinking? What's going on in their head? The Apostle Peter, he feels uncomfortable around us. That's not conducive to building people, by the way. That's not at all. Now, as I study this and read this out, Paul is pleading his case to the Galatians as to why they should trust him. He is. In review, number one, Paul was sure of himself. And you need to be sure of yourself before you can make others sure of you. Hello? You need to be sure. He sought God's approval, and he got it. He sought God's approval rather than men's, and he got God's approval. And by the way, when you get God's approval, others who know God will approve as well. I've always believed this. If somebody gets mad at me for my stand for Christ, if they get mad at me for my stand for Christ, I've always believed that if they ever get right with God, they'll thank me. I I believe that. Because I've been there. I've been the one that's been mad at somebody for their stand for Christ. And when I surrendered, I thought, man, thank you. Because deep down we know when the Spirit of God's telling us they're right. And then number three, what did Paul do? The third thing he did, we talked about last week, and this was huge. He removed any unnecessary suspicion. He'd heard, they had heard things about Paul. And Paul clarifies his fellowship with the so-called original apostles and their agreement. He lays it out bare. And not only that, he lets them know, I wasn't afraid to call out somebody. I'm going to get ahead of myself. But he removed unnecessary. And if you want to build trust in people's lives, 
you have to be willing to do that. Remove unnecessary. I mean, if, if you're not willing to do that, the, you're making it difficult to have a good relationship with somebody. Hello. So I heard that last week. Okay, good. Next, with just a couple minutes. It's been 14 years since Paul's been up to Jerusalem. What do we discover? He's holding to the same gospel of grace that he did 14 years prior. He's not changed. And you want to build trust with people? Consistency and time. Consistency and time. Consistency and time. You don't have to be uh, a great orator, communicator, musician. You don't have to have these great gifts if you have dependability. Week in, week out, you're as excited about the things of God now as you, you were 10 years ago. Or, or 10 years from now, you're, if the Lord tarries and you and I tarry, we're still serving, plugging along, reading our Bibles, witnessing, attending services. God uses that. People can depend. You know, people learn to trust that. They just develop trust. It takes time. Now, um, finally, doing the difficult right. Every time you do the difficult right, you earn trust with people who appreciate that side of the aisle. Every time. Living the Christian life is filled with difficult decisions. And any time we come to a fork in the road, there's always a right choice. Always. Always. And sometimes it's difficult because sometimes we look at it and we'd say, uh, well, if I make this decision, I could lose my job. Or if I make this decision... Uh, this person could get mad at me if I make this. I mean, this could ruin a relationship there. But my question to you is this. If you don't make that decision, will you ruin your relationship with God? If you don't make that decision, will you hinder your fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? That closeness. Can you honestly say you love Him when all you do is make the easy right decision? I mean, the easy right, anybody can do that. Anybody can be friendly when people are friendly to them. Anybody can love those that love them. Anybody can smile at those who smile them. But it's a whole different ball game when people are rude to you and they're cynical to you or people that you trusted turn on you and yet you keep the right spirit and you keep the right attitude for His name's sake and you stand your ground and you say, there will be no liquor in this house. There will be no narcotics in this house. Am I meddling? There will be, we will not allow that stuff in the house. Hey, you, you, when you do that, you develop a trust not just with people who want to do right, with God. Paul wanted the Galatians to know I'm the same person. I got about two, three minutes. I'm going to be gone for a month anyway, so I'm just going to say this. I read this book uh, 
by Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And there's a chapter in there about uh, emotional bank accounts. This is incredible. So, uh, you want good relationships with the people you love. Every time, every time you open the door with a relationship with someone, you give them a bank account in your heart. Have you ever had a bank say, I'll give you $200 if you, or $100 if you join us? Have you ever received anything like that? Nobody? I've seen them. I've got them. Yeah. I mean, you can't take it out right away. They want to keep you for a while. Why do they do that? Well, they want that relationship. Well, they want your business. Anytime you start a relationship, you open up a free bank account for somebody. And sometimes you, you give them a deposit. They can build that. Or, by the way, anytime somebody lets you into their life like that. Marriage, children, friends at work, church members. Anytime somebody lets you into their fellowship, they have opened a bank account. Every time, though, you would maybe ignore them or uh, maybe say something smart aleck to them and if you haven't put anything in that account, you're taking withdrawals, and eventually they're going to lose interest in you. You're going to lose them. But the more you, you can put, you can earn trust. Every time you say, I'm going to do something, and you keep your word, you're, you're putting more into that emotional bank account. Anyways, this whole chapter he's got in this book is just phenomenal about that, about building relationships, about banking up emotional uh, uh, treasure for the days that you're not what you'd like to be. You know why I can give some people the benefit of the doubt? Because they've banked up a lot of trust. I mean, I can give Brother Brian the benefit of the doubt in a lot of things. I can give Brother Aaron the benefit of the doubt in a lot of things. I can give Shannon the benefit of the doubt. Because they've banked a lot of trust. They've kept their word. They've done things that I'm like, you didn't have to do that. Are you hearing me? And every time, listen, listen. This needs to be understood in our personal, in our marriage. You want to, why, you want to know why some marriages go cold? They quit depositing, and all they did is withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. No, I want to watch this, and I want to go there, and I want to do this. And they never do ask their spouse, and so it gets cold in the marriage because you've drained the deposit, man. I, I'm not even interested now. Paul was telling the Galatians, hey, remember, I want to keep you. This is who I am. I've kept my word. And there's more to it. Lord, bless the message. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your truth. Bless your people. Help us, Lord, to do our part to deposit trust. Deposit faithfulness. Deposit kindness. 
deposit endurance. There'll be days we need withdrawals. There'll be days we're weak and we're going to need that benefit of the doubt. May you help us. Bless the message. Minister to hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Brian.